Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. the NBA season is over, but the NFL is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Things are definitely heating up on the gridiron, and uh, I got to be honest with you, I have no idea now who the best team in the NFL is. A lot of weird results and uh, all the COVID stuff definitely impacting things, but BetOnline's got you covered regardless. So from game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It literally never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag today and sign up. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, everybody, welcome into this week's Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt, he's Larry, and I think we actually have a little bit of Wizards news to talk about this week, which is nice. The season's over, so uh, you know we don't have to talk about the playoffs. We can get back to our, our local team here. Larry, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, John Wall made a little bit of news this week for doing an interview on ESPN, uh, talking about the NFL. He's a Cowboys fan, which doesn't go over particularly well here in D.C. in the first place, but... He's getting some grief because he was playing spades during the interview and had to pause them a couple times. As somebody who's been through this on the player side, how much media training do guys have to go through? Like, I've actually never seen something like this before. And I was a little like, I think it's funny, first of all, but I was kind of mind blown that that he kept the card game going during. You know, that's respect one on one, I guess. Right. I mean, that's just. You know, if you don't have time to do the interview, then don't, don't no. waste yeah. anybody's time. Yeah. Just just say no and just, you know, just move on or do it, you know, for a later date. I, I also seen that clip, man, was, that's unacceptable, man. Come on, man. I just, at first I laughed because like, all right, he's got to be kidding here. You know, he's got to be giving these guys a hard time or know them or something. And by the end of the clip, I'm like, holy shit, he's really just, maybe it was a big money card game, you know, you don't want to pause something like that. But uh, like you said, just postpone the interview, decline in the first place. First of all, I want to say this uh, outright before anybody comments after the fact, but John Wall does amazing stuff for this community. He's by all accounts, like a, a, a great member of the community. I have no complaints about the guy in that respect whatsoever, but he is a dude that's taken some shit for how seriously does he take these things. And I think, you know, certain parts of the fan base are kind of wearing on the fact that we haven't seen him out there for two years and how much money he makes. I would just think you'd want to put your best foot forward image wise, you know, before the comeback, you're working hard, you're taking things seriously. And I think, you know, your image and how people view you plays into that. Yeah. For me, I think Matt, that, that's a, that's an easy one. I mean, that's a, you know, that, that's a no brainer. I mean, again, it just boils down to just, just flat out, just sheer respect, like respect the people's time. They want to talk to you, interview you. You know, your message is, is very, you know, widespread because of who you are. I'm like you. John uses his name to, to his advantage, you know, meaning getting out there in the community, uh, supporting the young people, supporting the basketball community. And it's okay for us to talk about an event that wasn't on the up and up. It's okay for us to have a conversation about that. And hopefully he learns, you know, from that, won't take it, you know, in a negative space, but he has to learn from that, you know, and you have to acknowledge that that wasn't the smartest thing to do or the right thing to do and move forward. 
you know, we've had a number of your former teammates on and uh, a lot of the feedback I get is like how impressive all of them have been, you know, in terms of just very well spoken, very well put together in terms of like just very media savvy, polished group overall. And, and you see a, a good number of those guys, you know, doing podcasts or doing, you know, TV events. So uh, that's part of it. But but even looking at Troy Brown, who's a really young player, but compared to Wall, like he was very polite, you know, he's very engaged the whole time. You know, he was almost a little little tight at first until we got him to loosen up a little bit. So from a media perspective, you, you got to think the PR team at the Wizards is just like face palming when they see stuff like that. You know, they talk to these guys about those kind of things. Yeah, if it's a, if it's a big money game, something has to pause. Like right. we're not going to do both at the same time. Like I'm going to win this money and then I'll call you back later yep. or hold on guys, I'm going to do this interview and then we'll get back to it later. But one of those things, you know, you had to press pause. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to lead in with that one. Cause that that's been getting a lot of traction locally. The other big thing is just, I guess this will probably just never stop until he signs another extension, but literally every week there's another Bradley Beal trade rumor. And, and the one that keeps coming up is to the Warriors, Andrew Wiggins, the number two pick, maybe another first round pick, all this stuff. I'm sure he's a, a wonderful young man. He's a talented player. I have no interest in trading Bradley Beal for, for Andrew Wiggins and any number of picks, but like really credible media outlets keep bringing this one up. And, and I don't know if that's them projecting or if, you know, this is a, where there's smoke, there's fire situation. Do, do you think there's any credibility there, Larry? I always think where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And you talk about the credible sources. I mean, it becomes a business, you know, when you talk about, you know, contracts and getting the draft picks being on a scale that, you know, you don't necessarily have to worry about. Uh, you know, the business kicks in. I mean, we, we love uh, Brad as, as a person, as a player, but there's a lot of money at stake. Sure. You know, when you talk about, you know, long-term, I mean, four-year deals, five-year deals. So I always believe where there's some smoke, there's some fire there. You know, having a situation where it didn't play as well as the group wanted to play, even though they understood that it was a rebuilding year. And then obviously with the pandemic coming in and putting a halt to everything, uh, it's 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 a tough situation to really understand because you don't know what is really going on because yeah. Brad says he wants to be there. Yeah, especially after he comes out, you know, if you're the optimist, you say, hey, you know, he's trying to like get these things to go away. The pessimist in me says, well, maybe that's him doing the organization a favor and saying he doesn't want to be traded because that that actually, you know, helps them from a value they can recoup standpoint. But you know, when you hear the Brian Windhorsts and the Adrian Wojnarowski's multiple times mentioning the Warriors, that that one makes me a little bit nervous. You know, the Bleacher Report, hey, the Wizards should trade uh, Bradley Beal for DeAndre Jordan and a second round pick. That that stuff, I, I don't pay attention to at all. But this one makes me a little nervous. W what do you think about Wiggins overall as a player? I think he's a piece. You know, he's always been a talented player. Um, the environment, trying to find the right environment that's going to motivate him, that's going to push him. Um, his personality is is a little you know, laid back. And just really finding the, the group that's really going to support and work with him. I don't think he's a lost cause. I think he's a very talented player uh, that can do a lot of things on the basketball court, especially with the rules today. But I don't think he's gotten the battery that makes him – want to accomplish what everyone thinks he can accomplish, whether it's a teammate, whether it's a coach, assistant coach, general manager that he connects with. 
I just think there's been a lack of connection with his basketball career, with his NBA career so far. Is there like an age where you kind of stop thinking, I mean, maybe not age, but like a point into somebody's career, you know, four or five years in where it's like, all right, that's probably never going to click for this kind of guy or, or could that happen six, seven years in or, or that sort of thing? It just matters. What's the expectation? What are you asking player X to do? Mm-hmm. Right. What, what, are, what, are, what are your expectations of this player? And, you know, they may, may or may not meet those expectations, but anybody that's playing in the NBA is a very good player. Yeah. So it's about finding the situation that works the best for them. And again, it's like next man up. If there was somebody that was better than him, they would have the ability to take his spot. And no one's really taken his spot per se. It's just been he's not doing all that we want him to do. Mm-hmm. So it's just a fine line of how, you know, how much support he needs and what he's really trying to accomplish. You don't average 19 points in an NBA season or whatever he put up last year if you're not like really, really good. Obviously, everyone in the league's good, but you know, you hear stuff with him about analytics and, you know, he takes a lot of long twos or whatever, but I feel like that's the kind of thing you can tweak if, like you said, you get somebody that he buys into and, and give him the right role and that sort of thing. So speaking of a, another talented wing player, uh, one of the the names that keeps getting mentioned to the Wizards in the draft is Devin Vassell out of Florida State, 3 and D wing. It's a guy I actually enjoyed watching Florida State play this year because they just like swarmed people defensively everybody's long and athletic and I think because of their system nobody ever really like shines offensively so usually they're kind of better in the league offensively than they even showed in college he was a guy that shot 41 percent from three this year and now videos are popping up online of him having this like Marcus Camby way behind his head three-point jump shot and now in the video like every single one of them goes in but you put any credence into this like weird tweak shot? Is that just him goofing around? Like his uh, team he is training with put that video out online. I would imagine you wouldn't do that unless it was a, a serious thing, but it, it's sort of blowing up his draft stock already, supposedly. Well, I think they have to be really careful in these guys that are, you know, skill developers that are building these guys, you know, coming out of college or what, what have you, is to not get too deep into changing what someone is doing to prove that you can do Mm -hmm. the job. And I've always said your golf, we talked about your golf swing and your jump shot, right? Everybody's golf swing is is pretty much different. Everybody's jump shot is going to be different, but it's the consistency of your release point, just how confident you are in, in making shots and taking shots that that's what really matters to me. And I ran into a situation with Jason talking with with his dad and they were working on Jason's three-pointer probably a couple years ago mm-hmm. and he was doing a lot of forward movement right he was he was really jumping forward mm-hmm. to a point where it was very obvious and it wasn't something that they were tr- was trying to get to translate or transfer into the game it was more of a of a training tool and I believe smart players and when they understand what they're training at and how they're preparing to get to the game, it can work for them. But we as a public, we need to know more, right? We need to know more. We need to know what direction that they're taking. We need someone to speak about videos as opposed to just dropping those videos out. Because again, I've seen it being done in a, in a training format where mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily for the in-game experience. That makes a lot of sense too. And, and the video just got taken down and I've, I haven't seen any updates of 
explanation or anything like that, but Boop, that was an agent. Uh-huh. Agent. Hey, this is this is his agent. Take that shit down. Yep. That's the, how that goes. Exactly right. The uh you know, the little stock market ticker, you can see it's starting to crash. The millions are dropping away by, by the second with the click on, uh, you know, the clicks that that's getting. So if, if it was someone like an Isaac Okoro where the knock on him has been the jump shot and, and you see them trying different things, I, I don't think anyone says anything about it. But when you see a guy that's kind of his bread and butter, not only from his defense, but is his three-point shooting, mm-hmm. I, I guess that naturally makes anybody uh, a little bit nervous. But you got to be careful about that stuff. I can't imagine that a really good video online helps your stock at all, but a really bad one can can hurt it pretty quickly, I would think. I agree a thousand percent. So DraftWise, the other name that, that's been mentioned a couple times, he's shown up in some of the bigger mock drafts. I guess the ringers, Kevin O'Connor, who's uh, purportedly pretty plugged in with front offices, has had OB Toppin out of Dayton dropping to the Wizards in, in their latest mock draft. Uh, what do you think of uh, Obi's game, and does that make sense to you as a, as a Wizards fit? I like Obi's game. I watched Obi play because they were in uh, the Atlantic 10 mm-hmm. and got a chance to watch him play a few times, obviously, against St. Louis University. And he's a versatile guy. Uh, he has the ability to play multiple positions on the floor, and I think he's early on in his journey of, of understanding that and expanding his game. I think he's very green as far as to where he can take his game to, especially with how the NBA is, is played. I mean, the guy can obviously run and jump and is smart, is a smart basketball player. And I think that that's something that he's going to use to his advantage when he begins to expand his game. He's not going to try to do everything at one time. I think he'll gradually work those things into his game. And you're going to have the knock on a guy that's the most athletic player in the conference of, you know, his jump shot or how he shoots the basketball. That's going to be, you know, that's going to be there. But I, I like him, man. I, I like what he brings to the table. This is the thing I try not to pay attention to, like on some of this draft stuff. It's like, well, he'll never be a great defender because he has high hips and like all that. I'm like, what What does that even really mean? I think that's a, an effort. And a lot of these guys, on, when you're on a mid-major team with expectations like that, I mean, Larry, you probably lived this firsthand, but there's probably some amount of like, hey, you can't be that aggressive because you can't foul out because we need 20 points a game from you. Like, I got to imagine that and then just better coaching in the NBA, more film work, like all those things can at least make a guy that's that athletic, at least a solid defender, I would think. Yeah, I I think it's going to be tough to show how defense is going to transfer from the college game to the pro game because the college game is is really physical and the NBA is not as physical. Mm-hmm. So if a guy can halfway compete, you know, or, or get his name mentioned a few times on, the, you know, on the defensive end, he has a pretty good chance of being okay in the NBA, mm-hmm. but I, will that really transfer, right? You're playing in more space versus the college game. So I just look at the player's attitude and their mentality, right? When once they start their thought process of, how they're going to go out, how they're going to compete. And I've heard Obi talk, and I think he's – I think he, I think he'll be ready. I've mentioned on the show a couple of times a good buddy of mine's a, a prep school coach and, and actually played against Obi his last year at Mount Zion. And he was like an okay prep school player. Like they were a good team, but he wasn't like a dominant force or anything like that. So he's he's been kind of a late bloomer. And I think one of the knocks on his stock is that he's an older player. He's like 22 already. and 
Uh, that's ancient, I guess, by draft standards. But sometimes guys just mature a little bit late. And it doesn't mean that you don't still have room to grow because you're X years old already. Yeah, this is the thing about the draft, man. When, when you're a, a really good player and you get whatever knocks on you, but you're a really good player, your advantage is to go to a really good situation. Mm-hmm. And that normally happens, obviously, when you drop or whatever, if there's trades that go on. But the good teams are picking a little bit later. So it's not always a bad deal to go a little bit later because you can now really show what you're able to do because you have a support system around you. When you're a draft pick and you go to the high, you know, to that, that high pick, it's not always a situation where you run into where you have a support system where you're not necessarily coming in to, to be the savior. So I think that sometimes it's a blessing in disguise for these guys to not go where the expectation says that they should go, but where they go best fits them. Yeah, you don't have to come and be the savior of the whole franchise. You can just, hey, these are the things I do well. Let me support or compliment. And for someone like Obi, well, for just players that are older in general, I think that made sense to be something that general managers stayed away from like 15 years ago when when guys were more likely to stay with the same team for like a long time. But there's so much player turnover in the NBA. You know, how many guys actually stay for their second contract in the same place? To me, if you're a team like the Wizards that you want to compete this year, having a guy that's ready to go instead of another project, it seems like a good idea to me, actually, like having someone that, that you think can come in and actually play meaningful minutes right away. I agree. I agree. I think it's, it's a gift and a curse to, to have age because you have experience. You are a little bit seasoned and you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but you can't be, I hate for a guy to be put down because he's 22. It's like, he's 22. Like, he's still a young kid. He's not 27 or, you know, like it's, yeah, I'm totally with you. It just, it seems crazy to me. Some of the amount of obsessing between prospects, one guy is uh, 19.1 years old and the other one's 19.8 and it's like well this guy's a lot of you know much older prospect you're like what are you talking about um shouldn't matter that much but a guy we mentioned a couple episodes uh ago gary payton made a little bit of news this week by coming out and saying that he wants a, a coaching job in the nba and i think a lot of folks in dc seem less happy with scott brooks's job overall and, and you've heard a lot of Every time there's a big name, it's always, hey, do you think the Wizards could get that guy? Uh, I'm, I'm not so much asking you that question, Larry, but do you think Gary would make a, a good coach? Like, do you think uh, that's a guy that, that you could see being successful, at least as an assistant, maybe to start out? You know, I would, I would have to see just the, the mindset, right? I, I was with the big three, and GP was one of the, the coaches. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that kind of coaching would fly with the players <laughs> in, the, in the NBA or just, you know, just, just how, you know, just how GP is. But there's a lot of other guys, you know, a lot of coaches that have put their time in. So I, I would like to see a guy like, it's not my call, but, you know, if GP comes in, I would like to see him take one of those seats, you know, a couple down from the, the head coach, mm-hmm. you know, and then begin to, to work his way into that position. I think a lot of these guys have done that, and I don't think that that's something that is a problem to ask of, of GP if he wants to get into the coaching space because I don't think it's as easy as, as we all on the outside looking in. I don't think coaching grown men making millions and millions of dollars with the high expectations. I don't think that that's an easy job. And 
you know, you want to be prepared for that situation when you get there so you can put your best foot forward. Look at your former teammate, Jerry Stackhouse. You know, he started out as a couple of tiers down on the assistant tree and worked his way up, coached in the G League, is now a college coach. Like, that's a guy who's a pretty damn good NBA player and, and you know, isn't just sort of like getting a job right off the right off the bat. Or Sam Cassell is another name that, that resonates here with, with fans because he was well-liked as an assistant coach for the most part. So, yeah, I, I totally, I'm totally with you. I, I do think he would be interesting as an assistant for this team because – uh, as much as defense is an issue for a lot of these guys, it'd be curious to see kind of what he could impart on them or any kind of tricks he could pass along. Obviously, defense is a little different now, but yep. as he got older, what did he learn? Are those things he could pass on to someone like John Wall? You know, maybe he's not as athletic now, but how do you kind of compensate for that? So I'd be interested in kind of seeing that play out. I'm I'm totally with you, though, but you, you got to start a little lower and pay your dues a little bit. For sure, for sure. Along the same lines, another name that uh, got some interest is is Daryl Morey stepped down as the GM in Houston. I think for the most part, Tommy Shepard's job has been a little more well-received so far than I would say Scott Brooks's is, but that's another name that, that got some attention locally, it seemed like. Do you see the Wizards being interested in making a move for a bigger name like that? Do you like what Shepard's done so far? Where are you at at this point? Yeah, I would hope not. I would hope that Tommy has time to you know, really put his fingerprints on, you know, the organization and how he sees and views the way the team can be successful, right? It's, it's just like the draft and it's just like you have players coming in every year is that you look for that new, that shiny new toy and it's not always the best thing for you. I think you, you want to create that stability and obviously you have to start somewhere and with the Wizards just starting this journey with, with, with Tommy Shepard, I think he deserves, you know, the right to, you know, to, to grow that opportunity, Maury was in Houston for, what, 15 years or so? So he had an opportunity to fail and to succeed and to do good things, to do bad things. But at the end of the day, he was able to do things his way and then obviously leave on his own accord. So I think I would you know, want the same thing for Tommy Shepard uh, as, as a general manager also. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I've liked the job they've done overall. Like they've done a lot of low-risk moves to add guys that at least – even if they don't fully pan out, they were worth taking a shot on. And I still think, you know, another year of like a healthy Thomas Bryant, uh, Troy Brown keeps refining his game. You know, Hatcher Moore learns how to play the NBA game a little bit more. Like, I think they've made solid moves, whether or not they all pan out long term. I at least like what he's trying to do. He, he didn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, assets or capital to work with. So I think those have been smart, shrewd moves. Uh, people are first to knock on, you know, well, Bonga hasn't turned into this or that. It's like, it doesn't mean that it wasn't a good pickup to try to get those guys. Right. And then, I mean, those things happen, right? I mean, when you, you have those dollars tied up in your backcourt, you have to be creative in finding ways to support, you know, the rest of the team, but also get quality players in there as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think over the next couple episodes, we're going to try to do a little bit more draft talk for folks. The draft's on the 18th. So Larry, there's a couple guys I'd like to pick your brain about a little bit and, and just see what you think about the fit. And then if there are other, you know, prospects that people are interested in hearing more about, just let us know and, and we can kind of you know, steer toward those. And then we'd like to do a little free agency talk. You know, I have no idea at this point how long free agency will will actually be and and when that'll kick off. But uh, maybe we can go position by position. It seems like uh, centers and small forwards seem to be the ones that get the most attention. So maybe we can come in next week with a, a list of guys for folks to to talk through our options here. 
Got it. At this point, we're going to be joined by our latest and greatest uh, guest host here. So uh, when we come back from this little mini break, we'll be joined by Matt Vazana of the Beltway Sports Bros podcast. All right, folks, we're back from break and we're joined by the host of, well, one of the two hosts of the Beltway Sports Bros podcast, Matt Vazana. Matt's a good buddy of mine. I've been on their show a couple of times. Happy that uh, he's coming on to return the favor here. Matt's podcast is on the Empire Media Network that Bram Weinstein ho- uh, you know, runs and coordinates. So these guys are legit. Check them out. Very fun stuff. And it's one I, you know, I definitely listen to on a regular basis on my own. So I would encourage everybody to do the same. Matt, thanks for joining us. Want to talk a little Wizards hoops here. I know you're a, a big Wizards fan too. So what do you want to talk about today? Hey, well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, Noel, my partner in crime, you know, if you listen to the last episode, I was giving him a bunch of crap about it that I was that he wasn't invited. So, you know, he's gonna listen to this and not be very excited to hear this portion of it. But how's it going, Noel? Anyway, there's, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, for me, um, I, I really appreciate it again, and I, I guess we'll talk about the slam article that came out. I don't know if you guys saw that or not, but um, it was kind of surprising because they were saying that the Wizards had thirty five million dollars in cap space under the luxury tax saying that it's almost a foregone conclusion that Bretons is going to sign or re-sign and also they can kind of make some noise in free agency and what we were talking about on our show was basically going down a couple of guys that would be a good fit I was thinking of um, MKG personally because of I think what he is looking at as far as his defensive ability his cost number one because you know if we're looking at like a mid-level exception that might be something that they can actually afford. And he's kind of a glue guy, you know, and then they're not going to need him to score because hopefully John Wall actually plays this year, fingers crossed. What do you guys think? For me, I think that, you know, you're going to have to get guys that on a budget. You're going to have to get quality guys that want to buy into what you're doing. So it's going to take, you know, I don't want to go to the, to the end and say, this is all we can get, right? This, this is what we have. This is all we can get. So I'm looking for a sale job. Right. I'm looking for somebody to come in, you know, sell the dream, sell the mission of how great the organization can be, how great D.C. supports, you know, the local teams, you know, the environment uh, that's being created by uh, the, the, the new staff that's in place uh, up top, the, the guys upstairs that are in place and do a sale job to try to go get a pretty good name. Right. A pretty good name with some game, because if you get a get a, get a guy with a name and some game, then you can probably convince or talk to another player about that player's name and game. If we, if you go a route where you have to go to the bottom of the barrel to find out what you can get, it's hard to sell other players on that sort of dream. So I would say, I want to see a sale job, right? I want to see when you talk about going from high school to college is you pick your, your dream school and you pick the school that you're going to get into. And I want to see us pick the dream school. We don't want any uh, safety school options in here. We, we want to go for the, uh, the the big the big name here. That's all I could get in was my safety school. So you know, it was <laughs> dream school, but that wasn't that really was a pipe dream. I think a lot of us can relate <laughs> to that one. Uh, d- question for both of you guys: Do you think bringing Bertans back actually helps them get other names, or, or do you think because him coming back and presumably having a pretty big role offensively, do, do you think that scares other? Like the types of guys you were talking about, Larry, do you think that discourages those kinds of guys or, or encourages them? No, I don't, because I think that at this point in time, I think all the players want to play with somebody that can stretch the floor and shoot the basketball. 
So I think that these guys are going to know his reputation as far as to how well he shoots the basketball and know if it's a guy that drives the basketball, you're going to have a lane because there's limited help, you know, on that side of the floor. And if it's another shooter, then, you know, put me on one side, put you on the other side, and let's figure out how to make the defense commit to one of us so the other one can get a shot off. So I don't think so. I think he's a, a pretty good name that you can use, especially in today's game when, you know, it's really based on, you know, how well you shoot the ball. I mean, my eyes would light up if that guy's name was mentioned. Me personally, I, I don't really think it moves the needle much. It's not like he's a, a huge name, right? I mean, he's a, he's a guy that's going to open up the floor, of course, right? I mean, he's, he's a mm-hmm. guy can shoot from China, you know, which is, I, that's why I love the guy. Just shoots from everywhere. I just think that the, the Wizards in general have always had issues bringing in or pulling in big names or names at all. Like, it's, it's not like they're going to the Lakers or going to the Clippers or something like that. They're willing to take less money. You got to pay a premium, typically, to get for anybody to come to the Wizards. And I wish personally that Bertans would do that, but I don't know if that's really going to happen. I'm sorry to disagree with you, Larry. Apologize. No, no. Why do, why do you think that is? Is, is why, why do you think that, you know, the big name guys overlook Washington? Yeah, I think it's just the history or lack thereof. I think that it's a great place to live. I mean, you can attest to that, right? I know I've listened to you, you say a few different times, it's, it's the best place you ever played or ever lived during your playing days, right? I just think that players, it's not a name. It's not a name value. It's not like going to the Lakers or going to the Celtics or they just don't have that history behind it. And on top of that, um, you know, you have a situation where you're leaning on Bradley Beal and John Wall yet again, getting the band back together. And will John Wall ever see the floor again? He looks great in training, right? But who knows? And if I was kind of that mid-tier player that could take less to go somewhere else and win a championship or take more to go to the Wizards, I mean, everybody's got that, depending on how your bank account looks, eventually, maybe eventually you just want to go and win a championship. But even a guy like Bertans, I'm still not fully sold on the idea that he's going to stay with the Wizards, regardless of what people say. I don't know. I, I just don't think it's a place that people want to come to because of those reasons. And it's a shame because I think it's a could be a great organization for a long time if people actually just give it a chance, you know. But yeah, yeah I think that history of success probably plays into it for, for some folks. But, but Larry, as somebody who's gone through the free agency process, if, if a team has a couple good years in a row and kind of turns that around, or at least looks like they've bucked from from that trend of of ineptitude, is, is that enough for you to be like, okay, you know, different management now? These guys have their shit together. Like, does that give you yeah, confidence? It, it just depends on you know, it depends on the situation that the player is in as well, right? I mean, when I left Golden State to sign with Washington, I signed a three year deal. So when I signed that three year deal, I was pretty much bet- betting on myself. Uh, because I didn't want to sign a six-year deal that was that was offered to me. I thought it was worth more than that. So I used going to Washington. Obviously, MJ was there, but I used that as not necessarily a stepping stone, but I, I used that as an opportunity to really show my value. So if you get a, a free agent that is out to, to shore up his value, you know, in a situation where you can come in, you have to tweak some things because obviously you do have John and Brad there who are going to take majority of the opportunities to help the team win. But if that free agent is someone that's, again, trying to shore up his value, 
you know, whether it's one year, you know, with an option or something of that nature, then, you know, that could work for that player. But I think all these guys are going to be in different situations, but that's a free agent that would look at the opportunity to show up his value and play in a situation where you don't necessarily have the championship aspirations or the championship expectations, but you do have a quality organization. You do have a quality city or you have a quality arena with quality fans uh, that you can you're able to build, you know, your profile up a little bit better. How important is a city to signing to a new team? I mean, do, do players take that into account uh, or is that, are they just not around that often because they're always traveling, you know, under normal circumstances, not mm-hmm. this year, obviously, but is that something that players take into account or is it something that it's just all about money, team, championship aspirations? No, I, th- I think the cities play a, a part in those decisions because you know, a lot of guys, they have families and have families that travel with them and you want to feel supported in your environment. You want to you know, understand that, uh, the fan base is supporting you, but not only just the fan base, just the community at, at, at large, right? Of just understanding what you're getting involved in because a number of guys, again, have foundations and charities that, you know, we do at home, but we also pick those things up and we put those in the cities that we play in uh, for that period of time. So you want to make sure that if I'm going to support, you know, the area that it's just a, a, a good feel all around. And I do think that uh, city and location plays a, a part um, in, in the free agency process. So Matt, question for you guys. Were, were there any names when, when you guys talked that particularly stood out to you in terms of specific players that, that it's like, oh, this is a guy that I, I think is a great fit? couple, like the Jay Crowder name has gotten a lot of attention, you know, after their playoff run. He's a defensive player. He stretches the floor a little bit. He's kind of gritty. Uh, and any guys like that, that that stood out? As far as free agent? Yeah, just be, yeah, names you saw or read or talked about that, that yeah. appealed to you. Well, Noel made fun of me about this, but I think Olenek, I mean, he, he was, he, he wrecked us uh, at game seven with the, with the Celtics, right? And I've always been a fan of his. I just think he's a gritty player. I think he always seems to bring something to, to the team that he's at. And they need guys like that, like those glue type players versus, you know, these guys with, high ceilings, you know, and um, I think he could teach, you know, a guy like Hachimura a lot and he's not going to cost a lot and you just need a guy that can play, you know, multiple positions and, you know, he's, he'll probably play the four and the five, maybe even a three, maybe in, in, the, in a pinch. And I've just, I've always been a fan of his outside of when he crushed our dreams. Uh, that'd be one guy. Uh, and then also MKG, you know, I think that he'd be a phenomenal pickup just that hustle guy that can get boards, which we desperately need. We need a guy who can rebound. We need a guy who can play defense. He can really depend on, which we have none of that right now, unfortunately. So if I were to pick between those two, MKG would be my number one, but Olenek is, uh, I don't know, special place in my heart for him for some reason. I like Olenek, and I think that with the expectations of the player, you have to understand how the coaching staff use them. Right. I mean, we're watching Olenek in, in the bubble. We're like, hey, OK. <laughs> right. You know, because his coaching staff is is using him in the way that he can be the most successful. So you also have to take that into account when you talk about these free agency names. And again, I'm coming from the player standpoint. And I'll always say that we look at the player, we look at their ability. 
but we also have to look at the situation that they're going into or the situation that they're playing in uh, to understand the full story of that player, right? Because some of these guys are actually good players, but they're just in a, a bad situation and, and can't maximize their talent. And I think when you bring up Olenek, I'm like, we talk about having a big, you know, that can slide out to the three, mm-hmm. you know, to shoot the basketball, but also you have a big that can do some rotations. And I think that that's important. And he's going to fight. He's going to grind. And he's a guy that, you know, from all that, I, that I've watched, you would like for him to be on your team as a, another glue guy or another piece. And he always seems to hit a big shot, right? He always seems to kind of, during big times in a game, he, he seems to come out. Like, you may not see him the entire game, and all of a sudden, where the hell was Olenek this whole game? You know, and then he just, he kind of has that clutch gene, it seems like. So, and that's the kind of guy you need that doesn't need the ball all the time, but can show up when you need him to show up. Everywhere he goes, that team wins. Like, his Gonzaga teams were really good. Those Boston teams were pretty darn good. This Miami team's been pretty darn good. Larry, is there something to that? Like, to certain guys, is, is that him getting in, like, finding the right situations for himself? Or is just, you know, having, like, some impact on those being, like, you know, does his role kind of help those situations be as successful, I guess, as they've been? I think that that's being on the same page with his coaching staff and also the general manager, you know, that brought him to the team to know what his, what is, what is he expected to do? And not, a, you know, I don't see him get out of character a lot. Right. I mean, he's going to catch and shoot the basketball. He may take a bad three, but that's the game now. And it really depends on, you know, who's putting that battery in your back, right, to maximize the ability that you have. And, yeah, I mean, you get lucky sometimes when you just fall into winning situations. But more often than not, I mean, you're on the same page with your coach because you can go five games and not play. And then you play that one game, you have 25 points. Everybody looks great. Right. But that means that you're on the same page as your coach. Mm-hmm. So you can be successful and maximize your talent. Tell you what, he sat next to me at Summer League this year and he looks bigger than seven feet tall. Like if that's even possible. Like certain guys you walk by and like, yeah, he's he's only a foot bigger than me. That's not that much. <laughs> but uh Olinick looked huge, man. Even standing next to a couple other guys. He was next to Derek Jones Jr. and was like a solid like seven, eight inches taller than him, it felt like. He's a big boy. I'll tell you what. I was, um, you know, I live in Charlotte. Don't tell anybody, okay? Because we're, we're the Beltway Sports Bros, right? But we, uh, they were actually going to play the Hornets, right? And, and I used to work uptown in Charlotte. And I saw, uh, I knew that we were going to the game that night. Went to Firehouse Subs. I walk in and I see the largest human being I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Marching Gortat was there. And Larry, I know you're used to seeing people like this, but I'm not. You know, so it was he he didn't look like he was of this world. It looked like like an alien, you know, vessel dropped him down and he should not be walking among us. And I I talked to him and he was very cordial and actually Drew Gooden was with him, too. And we just first picked him up and we're like, oh, he's shooting at a gym by himself. Why are we picking this guy up? And then he ended up being Drew Gooden during that playoff run. But yeah, very cordial guy. I just couldn't believe how huge he was. I mean, thick like bones like like I. His, his wrists were like triple mine. It's like, what, what is going on here? But very nice guy. He was nice, he was nice enough to say, uh, oh, you're with us? Because he thought that I was a Hornets fan. I was like, nah, man. Wizards all the way. He's like, okay, see you there. He didn't bring me in the back, though. So it was like, whatever. 
<laughs> Larry, you ever have any guys where you walked on the court and you're like, holy shit, that guy is bigger than I expected. Like, I, I assume Shaq, the first time you see him in real life, is probably one of those guys where, like, he even opens your eyes a little. But, I don't know, maybe you're so used to it that that never happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're used to it. But, I mean, you think of, you know, Yao. You think of Yao, man. man. And just how, just how he was built, right? I mean, he was obviously tall. And you could go from head to, to, to waist. And when you got to his legs, it was like a, it was like a different person. I mean, his <laughs> legs were like tree stumps, but his arms were kind of like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And so Yao was probably, you know, Yao's one of those guys for me. It looked like Yao needed like specially made socks to fit around those calves, you know, or the, like his ankles. They didn't look right. It was, uh, he, pro- he probably got them stitched together, you know. That's why Yao couldn't play. That's why Yao couldn't play long, man. His yeah. legs were way, his legs were way too big. So he was so good, though, man. For that time, he played unbelievable player. Yeah, you you wonder how somebody like that would fit today. I, like as good as he was for the, those, you know, half half dozen years. I I don't know if teams could even make that work for him now. Like you know, I, I don't. Larry, you think he, he could got, play? You got Bobby out there. I mean, you got Bobby out That's there. True. I mean, so you know, he could he could find a way. I mean, would would Yao be happy playing just a few minutes? I I, I don't think that. But <laughs> you know, you you got a big guy out there that's kind of lumbering up and down with with, with Bobby. How would Big George play these days? What do you think about that? I don't think he'd fit in the uh, the positionless schemes that they have these days. <laughs> I think the same. I think Big George used to shoot the ball a little bit. <laughs> he you did. Know, so he, he had some he touch. The floor. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, I wanted to, to ask you, all right, so we're talking about hypotheticals, how these guys would fit today, right? Those Wizards teams that you were on, I feel like we're so ahead of the curve, you know, and looking back, I mean, I'm just looking at Gilbert, you, you know, all those guys that were stretching the floor, Antoine, how do you think if you took, had a time machine and you took that team and put them in today, how that how the NBA is played today. How do you think that they would fare? Or I you guys would be, fare, I would say. I think we would be good because we, we, were, we played a motion offense where it was player movement, ball movement. But we also had the big guy lifted off the block. And that's exactly what the NBA is today. Uh, the big guys is lifted to the corner. But we had that guy lifted up, and he would sometimes come to the top of the key. But he hung around that free throw line area which gave us the opportunity to back cut, you know, and play in space, you know, free throw line down. Right. And, you know, just the ability to, to pass, dribble, and shoot from those four positions. You had myself, uh, Gilbert, uh, Antoine, and also Jared Jeffries, uh, who was, again, one of those guys that didn't shoot the three ball, but he was, you know, the glue guy, would play defense on you know, one through five. Right. So I think we would, would, would fare well. I mean, I think that you guys were like the – precursor to the Warriors and then the Warriors kind of perfected it but man I it's such a shame that it was that time period because it was so close you know to this type of basketball you have today and um, I feel like nobody plays defense anymore and that's kind of I mean you did Larry and not not to (laughs) but everybody else didn't seem to and you know if that was the case I mean you would be the defensive stopper and that's all you really need in in the NBA today one guy because everybody's scoring 130 points anyway, you know? So it would have been, um, I mean, that was such a fun team to watch. I just was, I mean, I have such fond memories of that, of those teams. Like that's my all time favorite fandom time as a Wizards fan. Yeah, for sure, man. And it's just way more possessions now. I mean, we would be plus 20 possessions. So that gives us a chance for me, Gilbert Antoine to 
obviously put the ball in the hole a little bit more. But the, those guys in, in this game, I mean, they have so many possessions. I mean, you, you have to expect, you know, 120-point games each night. And that's what was maddening for me back then. I was like, God, slow it down a little bit. Do what everybody else is doing. But now it's like this is what everybody does, you know. And you guys always had more – you know, made as many possessions as possible. And that was kind of Eddie Jordan's goal, right, was to shoot before the 10-second clock or, you know, 10 seconds or that's at least what, you know, Buck Ants and uh, Chenier used to say. But um, – it was just such a fun team to watch. I just love that team and, and Gilbert shooting from, I mean, he was, he was really, uh, you know, the beard before the beard type of thing, you know, it was kind of, I just, the whole team phenomenal from top to bottom. And, uh, we need to get back there. You know, can, are you ready to suit back up? What's the, what's the deal? No, you can still guard some dudes. Right? I can spot up from the corner. There you go. <laughs> that's all you need these days, hey, right? That's, that's it. That's all I got, <laughs> baby. That's all I got. I can spot up from the corner. I might not make it back to half court on defense. <laughs> Hey, Larry, you always heard talk about the like the Princeton offense or the modified Princeton offense that you guys that you guys ran for the most part, and obviously you have some possessions where guys just kind of blow it up and do their own thing. But how come you don't see that much of that, like those principles today? Like, I mean, you see some of it, but it's not the same way. Like everybody's kind of got a their own thing going. I don't know, man. It's, it's like it's, it's a copycat league, obviously, and. You know, every team is not built to play the exact same way. And I think that teams get drawn into playing the way that this team is playing because obviously all the players, you know, rotate and free agencies go to this team. Sure. But it's it's different. Was the Princeton offense tough to pick up? Because I've always heard that. And, and when, when uh, Eddie Jordan went other places, he didn't. It was it was kind of like a modified version because I heard it was difficult for the players to figure it out. But once it's figured out, it runs like a well-oiled machine and defenses have difficulty figuring it out. Was that something that you had issues picking up at the beginning when he no, came we in? Didn't really have, we didn't really have issues picking it up at the beginning. It's just we just couldn't get to all the different layers, mm. right? We, we were really basic with it. And then as we start to understand and understand the players that we were playing with, because it was very important that we you know, understood our players' body language, we were able to communicate to, to obviously make that offense run smoothly, but it wasn't, it wasn't tough to pick up. And our second year in the offense is when we just really, you know, broke it open yeah. because we were able to call, you know, audibles and do things on the fly, you know, just mess defenses up. I mean, forwards out was one of the plays that we would call me and Gilbert just to make sure that we had the basketball in our hand and go to a pick and roll is, you know, wonder why we always call him forwards out. That's the first pass to the forward. He can do whatever he wants with it but we know that we're going to get it back. So those are the things that we learned through the course of that first year and then going into that second year, actually how to maneuver and play within that offense. But man, it, it, it worked. It was, it was a beautiful thing to watch when it was working. I'll tell you that much. When I watched Denver stall out offensively a couple of times in the playoffs this year, uh, I was like, this is a team that I feel like could benefit from that so much. Like you have Jokic in the high post and let him just create for people. I'm just always surprised that like nobody tries to break that out or at least principles of it to kind of like change things up. It just, it can't be that tough that you couldn't use some aspects of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's the copycat. It's like everything is a pull out to a screening roll. Like nobody wants to just to make the pass and the, the cut. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so everyone is following in that trend, even though it, it may not be successful for that team, but it's really just falling into you know, pick and roll basketball with, with the spacers, you know, on the outside. 
I had one question, Larry, that doesn't really apply to our, our conversation right now, but obviously you played with two of the greatest players. I mean, not many people can say that. They, they played with Jordan and LeBron, which is nuts, right? I think you – are you the only one that can say that? I don't uh, know. Brendan, right? Oh, but Haywood, yes, that's right. Brendan as well. Okay, so, all right. Well, reg- you're one of two, so yeah. I, I'll, I'll ask you this question. <laughs> you obviously played with Jordan in – his twilight years he played with lebron i would say pre prime right he was almost there if you could play with both players in their primes knowing what you know about both of them who would it be and i'm sorry if you've been asked this four thousand times but i'm gonna be no that's a little bit different than who's you know who's, who's better be- who's better right who's i wanted to spin on it i wanted to spin yeah. on it so. no but I, I like that i like that and, and it would still be mj Really? Okay. It, it would be MJ uh, because we match up with uh, the intensity, uh, really competing to the point of like physical altercation. And in Mike's heyday, I'm all for that. Like I'm, I'm with all of that because especially in those days you had to fight to win. And I'm 42. So, well, 41, I'll be 42. And that's how I know how to compete. And that would be a guy that I would would have loved to be on the court with him in, in in his in his prime. What did Jordan instill in you? Did he did you take anything away from those or that year with him uh, that you know kind of carried you over for the rest of your career? Yeah, attention to detail, attention to detail. I had a little bit of history with, with MJ before I, I played with for him and with him in in Washington, but it's really attention to detail and how he was prepared to take on any challenge. And there was never a situation where he was going to back down from any challenge, whether it was, you know, a center or whether it was being down a couple games in in a playoff series, right? He's always going to fight. And those are the things that I learned from him. Most of the things I watched were not basketball related or on the court, right? I, I watched him communicate with the media. I watched him communicate uh, with the, with his trainer and also with the trainer um, for the team and how to prepare his body, how to understand how to talk through what was going on with his body. Obviously, he was getting older. So how to really be at maximum strength when it's time to play basketball. And that was really his good. He had a lot of fun playing basketball that year, but it was those behind-the-scenes things that I watched that you know really stuck with me on on the level of, detail and communication that you have to have to people that are surrounding the organization so they know exactly what you're feeling and exactly what you're trying to try to accomplish oh that's awesome i mean we did a show actually the last last dance because apparently during the last dance those last two years didn't exist um (laughs) and i just wanted to you know show that and he actually didn't do too badly those last two years, you know, and everybody says that, you know, he, it was a, he was a shell of his former self, which in some aspects he was absolutely. But I mean, he would, what he, the numbers he put up and the fact that the defense, defensive efficiency and things like that, the things that he brought, I mean, they were literally the worst defense, defensive unit, defensive team in the league the year before. I think they got up to what top five, Matt, something like that. Um, You know, the next year, um, like, but to, and it, it kind of upset me because 
you know, they showed like what Rodman was doing, what he did after uh, the last season there and what Pippen did. And this, you know, like when they put the captions at the end and they act like Jordan didn't do anything after that. I mean, was that upsetting to you at all, considering you played with him and that you actually were there (laughs) during an actual season that he played and acting like those two seasons didn't even exist? You know what? I, I have the memories. And for me watching Apparently no one else does. Yeah, I I was like a kid in a candy store. I don't even think I was, you know, focused that he actually played, you know, a couple years, you know, after that, you know, a couple seasons after that, because I was just so focused on like, shit, like, this is all the things that I wanted to know. And I kind of heard about or caught wind some things were going on, but I never really knew. So I was really focused on, you know, that part of the process and not necessarily what he did with the Wizards. But like you said, man, he, this is a guy who obviously you got to pick your spots when you get to that age, right? I mean, you can't go a thousand miles an hour, you know, for 82 game season or 70 game season. I mean, any of the games he was going to play and for him to be able to pick his spots and still, you know, be somewhat productive. I mean, I, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I got just, the image a bad of rap. Him, I got the image of him grabbing Ron Mercer's basketball oh, yeah. off the backboard Right. That's the image that I have when we talk about Wizards basketball. That was a thing of beauty. That's a pretty darn good one. Matt, those were amazing questions. I think this took a took the conversation exactly where I was hoping it would go. So so thanks for coming in, prepped and ready to go. I brought the A game. Please plug the show. Tell everybody where they can check you guys out. Yeah, thanks, Matt. So we are on three times a week, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It's killing me slowly, but we're we're doing that. And uh you know, we are on Empire Media, like you mentioned. We're on all major podcast platforms. Um, we talk Washington football team, Wizards, Caps, Nationals. Noel doesn't really enjoy talking baseball, so it's to a lesser extent, but we do once in a while. And, um, you know, whatever else comes up, we're just kind of barstool sports for DC. We'll put it that way. You know, just like two brothers that are shooting the shit and know just enough to be dangerous. And we try to be as entertaining as possible. People seem to like our top five Fridays. Um, that's kind of a universal thing. And, you know, please check us out. Uh, you know, wherever you get podcasts, we're on everything. So we're at, at Beltway Bro Podcast on Twitter. And we're also on Instagram. We have a Facebook group. So please check us out. Love to have you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that fun dynamic to the show here, Matt. Uh, hey, happy to do it. Noel's the fun one. I'm the I'm the straight guy. On this. We'll bring him in next time. We'll we'll compare after. That'll I don't be know. our top. Five I don't know Friday. if he'll ever do it. You know, he's a little butthurt about this whole thing. So listen to the last show. I'm telling you, it's hilarious because uh, I was giving him shit the whole time. But uh, this was a thrill for me, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And Larry, you're welcome. Whenever you can actually meet Noel and uh, bust his balls a little bit because he appreciate uh, you, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah appreciate yeah. you. All right, everybody. Nice long conversation there. Got in some different stuff we haven't talked about a whole lot yet. So, uh, Larry, thanks for walking us through, providing your expertise as always. Uh, Larry, anything you got going on that you want to plug uh, for folks listening? Uh, well, first, it's just really about insight, right? I like to have different people come on and talk basketball, talk on the court, off the court, because everyone has a perception of how things go, how things run. And it's just really good to get different insight on, on just how people think about basketball, how people talk about basketball, and just having a great time doing that. And, yeah, I mean, we're, you know, I'm in St. Louis, right? And, you know, working with basketball, working with the youth program, I have an academy here, um, which is about 16,000 square feet of 
great basketball fun, great basketball activities, using basketball as, as our vehicle to help and to inspire and to impact kids, to build and to create peak performers uh, within the game, on the court and off the court. And so now we're getting ready for our second uh, facility uh, here in St. Louis and St. Louis County in Fenton, uh, which will be a little bit smaller facility, more of a training environment and, you know, just having fun, just trying to inspire and impact as many kids as we can, you know, using the game of basketball, but that'll be coming your way uh, here in, in, in real, real soon. Anybody that's not following Larry on social media already, uh, follow the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy as well. I think my favorite thing about that, Larry, is uh, you see a lot of different looking faces all playing together and getting along. And, and I think that's a cool thing that, that sports can do. And, and you guys are providing a nice reminder of that. So keep up the good work, my friend. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, everybody. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Please reach out to us with uh, any topics you want us to cover, Wizards-wise, draft picks, free agency, all that good stuff. And uh, we'll try to keep bringing you good content here throughout the offseason. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube